0: Welcome to the Self-Evident and Forgotten Podcast, a show with conversations on the truths of liberty and odd opinions. We're your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. As always, the opinions we express are ours and ours alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of our employers or any other organization we may belong to. Wherever you are, and however you're listening and whatever you're doing, Thanks for tuning in. Now relax and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Self-Evident and Forgotten. We're your hosts, Stanton and Cody. Yes, once again, we are missing our chairwoman, Christy, as she does the good work of visiting the four corners of our wonderful square state. We <laughs> are, thank you, God, I appreciate the laughter from the peanut gallery. We are publishing. i the peanut gallery now? I've been you demoted. Are, you are the one person in here that makes you peanut gallery. Peanuts. <laughs> but you know what? They're, they're, we can call them like big peanuts. Like elephant-sized peanuts.
1: I'm not sure that's a compliment either. <laughs> <laughs> I As think you we... demoted me from host and called me fat.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I wasn't calling you fat. Hearty. Peanuts Thick. have protein. Hardy, Hardy, <laughs> Part of we... a well-balanced diet. <laughs> we are publishing this on Wednesday morning, 9th of June, because uh, the three of us, had intended to record in person. Unfortunately, that didn't quite happen, but we three Musketeers did get to see each other at the leadership program of the Rockies at their annual retreat in the beautiful Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs. It was a bit of fresh air not to see everyone through a screen. Um, as we... And others across the state and country come together in person. Uh, more and more businesses are, thank God, starting to open back up. Schools are hopefully going back to normal in the fall, but there is now a new growing threat. Uh, now that people are going back to their, ec- their regular economic activity, um, and that's flu 2.0. You say again. Is it bat flu 2.0? <laughs> it can't even come from a bat. Like, I you know, know what? the the whole Fauci email dump. I don't. We can talk about that later, but that's a whole nother <laughs> ke- bangle of of nonsense. It's always the emails. It's always the emails.
1: It's like everybody. Well, see the problem. See with Fauci, right? I mean, he's been in politics for so long that he and he was just so obscure for so long that he probably never expected to get all of his <laughs> emails foiled. But it uh, happens to all of them. Happens to all of them.
0: Well, not to leave you all hanging, the, the, the new threat that we are facing is economic in nature, and we call it inflation. It's insidious, it's powerful, and is a threat to a free society, um, primarily because it's practically unknown to almost every American in the country. They, they know the general idea, they've heard it before. Maybe they got in an econ, econ class back in college the real threat they're unaware of so today we're going to tackle that but first cody random question of the episode we were at the broadmoor for this wonderful retreat tell me what about this year's retreat has given you hope for the future oh wow um we, we you and i are both despairing individuals is yeah. like our one optimistic so in her spirit we got to keep this keep this forward forward looking
1: yeah, um, you know the speakers aren't necessarily targeted at uh, at us. Yeah, Dr. Chang was a uh, not particularly <laughs> hopeful on that front there were some interesting comments about qualified immunity made um that we'll uh. leave at the retreat but so so for me i mean i'm going to just unfairly again just go to a shout out to uh to my significant other haley who won the plug in event um which is an event where individuals can present projects nonprofits that they're working on and and try to get the support of a bunch of other uh well-educated people in the room along with some financial assistance. So she was talking about her work with the steamboat Institute and, uh, she successfully swayed a significant portion of the crowd. So that, that gives me some excitement. I'll be, it'll be exciting to see what, uh, what she can do with that and what the
0: steamboat Institute can do with the additional support. She did a phenomenal job. I competed in that event and she blew me out of the water. She just (laughs) demolished me. She was awesome. It was fun to watch. Um, Oh, it was a fun time. I think, I don't know. You're right that the speakers aren't exactly oriented towards that. I was kind of so. Um, uh, former Congressman uh, Trey Gowdy and current Senator Tim Scott, both of South South Carolina. South Carolina, um, they're both there. And, you know, I don't. I I have a, a, a an absolute policy not to put any sort of faith into a politician. No matter matter their principles, no matter their principles, my policy is absolute. If you fangirl over a politician, I automatically distrust you. That said, I was I was pleased by what I heard from Tim Scott, who's currently in politics, currently on a national stage. I was pleased by what I heard, and so should something happen in the future where he declares his presidency, I may or may not vote for him in a primary. We'll see.
1: That's fair. I'll just, if he needs some, I can give him some names to call to kind of reform his position on qualified immunity. You can't Uh, be perfect. You know, he can, he can call or text whenever he wants. I'm happy to, to, you know, (laughs) just, just have a, have a drink and talk about QI (laughs) and how it should be. Just, just go away. away. Ben Dominic was a really great speaker too. It was cool to, he was, he was one that was very interesting
0: he was interesting. I didn't, I, uh, there was a lot of education stuff at this retreat. I was, I was very surprised. I don't know if it, it wasn't an intended theme either. I think it just happened because schools were closed this year. I don't know.
1: Well, I think, I mean, schools were closed and then now schools are reopening while we're also dealing with school choice while we're also dealing with critical race theory, mm-hmm. you know, that, that issue is really coming to a head. I think education is something that's incredibly important today. And, that's why we do this, right? I mean, it's Excellent. just to try and help how we can. And why we
0: gonna we're gonna educate about inflation today. That's right. Today is an educational show. <laughs> we don't we try not we try not to be, you know. What's the word when it comes to educating people? Forceful. Yeah, we try not to do that. We try to just kind of have a conversation and talk through things. But yeah. this is what this is one of those issues that is so technical in nature and so convoluted that uh, it, it needs a pretty clear explanation. So, um, you know, again, we're and I say this a lot because we talk about economic ideas a lot. But I got to give another kind of caveat there. We're not an, e- an economic podcast. But property rights are so damn crucial to a free people. Um, because uh, as we've said before, if you don't own your property, how can you expect to control any political power? So we've got to talk economics. We've got to talk property if we're going to talk about freedom. So here we go. Let's dive in. Let's talk about inflation. We're going to take this from a really, really, really big kind of uh, 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 eagle's eye perspective. In fact, I'm going to tie myself, see how fast I can do a unit of teaching in a podcast. Let's do this. All right, here we go. So most Americans hate taxes, right? It, it, it's one of the, the, the primary drives behind the revolution. Taxes are visible, and they are a clear theft of your wealth. You can see it taken out of your paycheck. You can see it taken from, you know, your, your property taxes, right? They, they have a direct impact on your home life. Inflation, however, is equally, if not more, horrid. However, it's not very visible. Let me just tell you why. When we talk about inflation, we're talking about the general rise in prices. So everything more or less across the board is going up. That's inflation. Now, generally speaking, prices for goods like gas, groceries, TVs, cars, phones, all of these goods, their prices rise faster than wages. And remember, we consider wages to be a price for labor. So the prices of commodities is rising faster than the price of labor than wages. This is why during periods of inflation, it is harder to buy things. You are not being additionally compensated for the same work, but the goods that you are still buying are going up in price. That's going to have a negative effect across the board. You have the same amount of money, Government hasn't taken anything from you, so you don't really notice until it's too late. Your dollars are now not worth as much as they once were. You've lost wealth. Now, some, a tiny amount of inflation is what we call natural, okay? Uh, uh, Over time as products, goods, and services, as as they get better, as they improve in quality, um, the prices are naturally going to go up to reflect this rise in value. But that inflation is very gradual, and over a 200-year period, it's practically flat. Okay, the real inflation, the hurtful inflation, the one that hurts the average American, is caused by you guessed it, Uncle Sam, the government. Because here's what happens: Congress, your elected representatives, they spend a lot of money, a crap ton. Of money. <laughs> okay that's an understatement
1: it's an understatement <laughs> prior
0: prior to covid the average budget for the prior 10 years ish was about 3 to 4 trillion dollars okay and tax revenues were about 3 trillion so we we were having a 1 trillion deficit for for an extended period of time during covid that number had jumped from 4 to 6 trillion Dollars, in fact. Now, granted, that was because of you know we, we we needed the COVID stimulus or whatever that needed is a strong need, word. Needed was with air quotes. Needed uh. was with air quotes. <laughs> but that was you no. Know, th- those were like emergency spending, right? the The regular budget was set at four trillion, like quote unquote normal, and then the rest of the supplementary emergency came around. President Biden has actually proposed a six trillion dollar budget. OK, now, like I said, this six trillion dollars is not all taxes. The government doesn't collect enough. It. We. I, I used to joke that the government was really good at only two things, uh, killing people and taking money. They're not good at killing people. The 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 what was it? The cost per kill. Cost per kill. That was like episode two or something like yeah. that. Throwback. Yeah. Cost per kill for the United States military as compared to a private contractor is abysmal. And the amount of money that is out there that should be collected in taxes but hasn't been, thankfully, is really, really high, okay? So it's not good at either one of those. The government collects about three trillion. So that means we have $3 trillion in a deficit. We have a gap. Congress, like anyone else with a gap, has to borrow money. Now, Congress borrows money through what are called treasury bonds. If you know what a corporate bond is, you know what a treasury bond is. The government asks people, citizens, companies, other governments, for money in exchange for a future payment. It's a loan, right? A repayment plus interest, it's a loan. Here's the problem. The federal government, over its many, many, many decades of spending, has borrowed so much that in the, just the past few years, especially due to COVID and irresponsible spending, um, there is no longer enough people to borrow all that the government needs, uh, excuse me, there's not enough, there are not enough people buying bonds for the government to borrow. That is, the government is borrowing more than people are lending, which means that the Federal Reserve, which is our nation's central bank who controls the, the printing of our money and our interest rates, the Federal Reserve is going to print a crap ton of cash to float the bonds and pay for Congress's negligent habit, okay? Uh, the amount of cash in the economy is measured by uh, a fancy number called M1, okay? You can look this up, M as in money, one. And the M1, the supply of money in the system has not just skyrocketed, it looks in reverse like a cliff. It is so astronomically high right now, I can't believe anyone would look at that and say, yes, this is the right responsible thing for government to do. Okay. <laughs> this amount of cash in the system devalues each dollar. Each dollar, because there's more of them, is now worth less. This makes goods more expensive to purchase. This, in turn, creates inflation and thus robs you of your wealth. Okay. And by the way, to make matters worse, As businesses open back up to full capacity, which is a good thing, and people start to buy more and participate in the economy as they were, the renewed increased demand is going to drive prices up further once again. So not only does the increased borrowing and the money printing of the Fed, not only is that going to raise prices, but we're going to see a resumption of uh, uh, of demand, which is also going to in- increase prices. So, the consequence, the problem is not inevitable. This did not have to happen, but the consequences are going to be inevitable. So, by the way, let's see here. Not Bad. Six minutes, 50 seconds. I can't I tell can. you how
1: much I wanted to just try to like interrupt at stages to see if I could just, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? That's why it takes me a unit. Cause I've got like 30 kids per class, always trying to like, wait, what about this? What about that? Good questions. Need to move on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so basically Cody...
1: the adult equivalent of a high schooler. It's fine.
0: <laughs> well, you but I what? held my tongue. So I've grown. That makes you a lawyer. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> so if this is the case, Cody, which it is, uh, I want to push away from the economics and I want to get back into some of the political and, and principled arguments, okay? Uh, this system where the government is ruining your wealth and your savings account, right, by, by inflation, this happens because of essentially two things. The first is fiat money, and the second is congressional spending. Now, when we had Christy plan for this, she was going to talk about the, 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 the budget. And I'm going to read a paragraph from her later. But Cody, fiat money, what the hell is it, right? And, and for everyone out there, this is my deliberate Roman question <laughs> for Cody. He's going to have a good time here. Cody, you want uh, to talk about debasement of money? Sure. Uh, yeah, but the problem
1: is like, you're getting me into like modern history, which is like fourth century, third and fourth century AD. You sound like every other pretentious <laughs> classical
0: historian. <laughs>
1: like oh, yeah.
0: I don't, I don't do modern history. What's modern is <laughs> anywhere from before 490?
1: <laughs> Get
0: out of here.
1: Oh, so, so fiat currency in a, and I, here's your, your, Disclaimer of not only are we not an economics podcast, but Cody's a lawyer <laughs> and not. <laughs> uh, so fiat currency is essentially any currency that's not tied to a specific um, controlled standard. Let's, let's use that. So, for example, a lot of people claim or, or make the argument that the United States moved to fiat currency once we left the gold standard, which tied the dollar directly towards gold or silver. So it's this idea that now the only thing that that money represents is the idea that there is some sort of back by the, the United States government. And we all have this kind of basic agreement that a little fancy green bill with a five printed on it means the same thing from city to city and town to town in the United States. And with kind of market changes that generally mean something similar in other countries as well although that changes once you get fluctuations and once you get inflation and once the US dollar is devalued five a little green bill with a five on it does not mean the same thing in Europe today <laughs> as it did five years ago um, right although so- yeah. I don't actually know what the exchange rates were between now and five years ago. So maybe they are about I, the same, but I doubt knows. it. I'd assume it can't be. So anyways. So this all kind of dates back this idea of debasement and, and, and fiat dates really back to the third century AD is, is the easiest point. So once we're in the kind of the Roman empire, empire the emperors start realizing that they don't have enough gold and silver to keep making gold and silver coins. So their natural reaction is just to put less gold and silver in the coins, which they're like, oh, this is a genius move. We can make just as many coins with less silver. But what that really means is that you have less at that point, right? Gold and silver are the valuable currency. And so even though your dollar is still a dollar, it now has 75 percent
0: silver instead of 90 percent silver right conceptually you know if we're talking about a dollar it's conceptually still 100 cents but only 75 percent of actual say precious precious uh, precious metal
1: exactly and the emperor that's excuse me the emperor that's really bad for this is carcalla right he is the like prototypical he's a hard and what's really ironic is like let's draw some some similarities here Uh, his problem was military spending. (laughs) Shocker. Yeah. So um, basically Carcalla initially was supposed to rule with his brother and his dad had told them like, live together. Well, support the military and all will follow. So Carcalla immediately kills his brother. So didn't really live together. Well, but really takes the, take care of the military thing to heart and just greatly increases military spending. Like, Salaries for your basic troops rise by like 50%. He just basically says, well, I don't care if we're not bringing in as much money as we used to, as long as we have this and he points to his sword, we'll be good to go. He extends citizenship to basically everybody to try and increase the tax base, right? This is the same thing like the U S is running into now. Of Like there's not enough people. The tax base is already limited as it can be. Mm-hmm. And now there's not enough people lending, which isn't wasn't really common in the Roman empire as much, but They're like, oh, we don't have anybody else to collect from. So what do we do? So Karkala starts dropping the amount of silver and dropping the amount of gold and money. Um, He's really bad for this. Later on, one of the emperors tries to raise it. And then eventually once they kind of fall into this civil war and the, the empire starts breaking, you you just see that it continues to drop and drop and drop until eventually there's just no silver in the the denarii anymore. It's
0: the reason we call it debasement is because they're adding base metals to precious metals. Exactly. Like lead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So right. So the denarii at the, the height when when Augustus takes power at the beginning of the Roman Empire, really, there's about 95% silver in the denarii. Um once Carcalla's in power, that drops to about 75%. And then once you get towards uh, the end of the what's that the third century? No, yeah, no, the fourth, third century, AD, um, you're down to like 05 percent silver in a denarius, essentially Oof. worthless. And shockingly, the price of goods goes up. <laughs> so now in Rome, I think the inflation was like by a thousand percent by that point from uh, from the time of Augustus, which so you're only talking about a period of three hundred and sixty? No, maybe a little bit more. About four hundred years,
0: mm-hmm. um, a little less than that. Anyways, and and you know, a lot of people say, "Well, why does this happen? Why is it that printing more money causes prices to rise?" And they get they get the idea that you know, well, when you have more of something, each is less it, it, it is worth less. But don't don't take that at face value, right? It, really examine it. it If a water bottle costs $10, that means $1 costs one-tenth of a water bottle, okay? If I add more cash into the system, okay, uh, you could say that the supply of money is increasing. Whenever you increase the supply of something, you always decrease its price. So if the price of a single dollar was one-tenth of a bottle, maybe now it's, 1/15th of a bottle that's a drop in price. Well, you reconvert that that $10 water bottle is now $15, right? You can you can work that 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 kind of sort of math on your own. Yeah, there's an easy way to see this cuz a lot of people recognized
1: this when stimulus payments went out, mm-hmm. right? So uh, a lot of Americans oh, Talk f- lumber. Oh, the lumber's brutal. Well, so so first the stimulus. Mm-hmm. So stimulus goes out right in 2020. And one of the hilarious immediate reactions is certain luxury goods sell out. So fancy TVs, uh, Nintendo Switch. You can't um, get a PlayStation still. Playsta- Playstations and Xboxes. So all these payments went out and then magically all of these luxury goods sell out. So what that really is, right, is what you're talking about with water bottles. So not only is, is a dollar... One tenth of a water bottle, but because of that, there's only a certain number of people that are willing to exchange their $10 for a water bottle because they're like, Well, I've only got twenty dollars. Do I value the water bottle higher? The problem is, is as soon as you dump this cash into the market, now there's like there's a forty people that are like, Oh, cool. Well, I've got thirty dollars, so I'm gonna go buy a water bottle too. So you get this you have a
0: temporary f- increase in purchasing power.
1: Exactly. And then that shoots up goods costs because now they can't meet demand, but they still want to, but they could recognize that they can raise money off of the limited supply they have. So you get this weird kind of fluctuation back and forth.
0: None of this is natural economics, by the way. None of, none of this is capitalism as you would understand it. No, you've got this kind
1: of like awkward market force, just shoving pe- things down people's throat and businesses have to respond. And then you end up with crazy inflation. Lumber isn't just an inflation problem. Lumber is also a supply problem because the United States is horrible
0: a lot about forest management. Because Sure. And I'll grant you know, that the tariffs and the and forest management have caused a, a drop in lumber supply. However, when you go from an average of $390 per unit to over $1,000 per unit, yeah, there's more than just supply problems. Now, Again, we're, Cody, Cody and I might, could probably go into this economic thing forever. One of the things about fiat currency, right? The, this idea that, no, fiat comes from the- The, 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 the car Latin. manufacturer. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the Latin for let it be, make it so. <laughs> thanks, Cody. The oh. fiat money, the government money- um, as compared to commodity money, like gold or silver, there's nothing inherent about gold that makes it valuable, right? Nothing in, it's a shiny yellow rock. That's it. There's nothing inherent to it. Now you could say, well, what about circuitry for electronics? Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you right now. We're just talking about the fact that as a mineral, there's nothing valuable to it. What makes gold better than just government dictate as a form of money is that it's scarce, right? It's durable, it's divisible, it's transportable, and it's scarce, right? There's a scarcity to it. Now, obviously, you don't want something too scarce like diamonds. You don't want something divisible like plutonium, but you want something that can be handled well, right? In fact, we've seen inflation under gold. When, uh, When the old world, when Spain and Portugal, when they discovered gold in the new world in the West, And they shipped it all back to Europe. Europe suffered from inflation. So, inflation is not a fiat thing only. The problem with fiat money is that inflation can happen very, very readily. And that is because there is no limit to how much money can be in the system. Under gold, right, with a gold standard where $1 equals a very specific amount of gold, this very specific ounce of gold, okay. You can only have so much cash in the system as there is gold. That doesn't happen with fiat money. You can have as much money as you want. This is problematic from a freedom perspective. So obviously this causes horrific economic consequences, right? But there's a political freedom consequence as well.
1: Well, So the problem is, right, like you make it so you put the power to debase, the power to make your money less worthwhile in the hands of a, a, an oligarchical system, in a sense. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's in the hands of one person, but
0: well, fairly close. Yeah, Federal Reserve, what is it, 12 board members <sighs> for 14-year terms? Woodrow Wilson. Thank. Yeah, thank you. That, 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 yeah, we're going to move on, we're going to move on. There's a lot we can say on Wilson.
1: Yeah. So, and, and so I think what's so insidious about inflation is something you kind of hit on and then we got really technical. So I think we should kind of pull it back out a little bit. It's just that it's, it's the hidden tax. It's a hidden killer, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you get your pay stub, you see exactly how much you're paying in federal taxes. If you go and buy something, you see exactly how much you're paying in sales taxes, you know, these these things are a little bit more obvious. Excise taxes, which are on the back end, you don't see as much. Those get reflected in purchase price, but mm-hmm. you still know that they're out there. But inflation basically means that if you, if you just live your life and you've got $1,000 sitting in your bank account in January, and then you have $1,000 still sitting in your bank account in December, you have less money because... Inflation has made the buying power of your money less. So it's people think they still have a thousand dollars. It looks it looks like you still have a thousand dollars, but if every single thing that you have to buy in the market is more expensive, that thousand dollars doesn't go as far. You know, we've all heard the story of like, Grandma took a nickel to the movies and came back with a penny and change after like watching a movie, having popcorn and having a soda, right? Like you can we kind of all like look at that and like, Oh, isn't that quaint? Mm-hmm. But that's what we're dealing with. And then when you get <clears throat> this printing of money, it's forces it on an artificial level.
0: There's a man. Um, I can't remember the exact story, but there's like this guy who had saved like $45,000 in cash and he had put it up in his attic. Now, by the way, don't, don't do that. Put it, put it in something that will generate interest for you. But he saved like $45,000 in cash. Like bonds money. from the federal government? No, no, no. Like,
1: God, uh, <laughs> no, also, no.
0: I was talking something like, you know what? I'm just something gonna, actually trustworthy. Something. I don't know <laughs> if there is such a thing, but yeah, blue chip, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, the $45,000, he, and he saved it in like the 1950s and was just left in an attic since then. And I can't remember the exact rate. Uh, Cody, can you, can you, hold on, let me see if I can do this. Let's see, $45,000 in 1950. 1950 in modern dollars. Let's see what that comes to. (laughs) Let's see. $45,000 in 1950 is equivalent in purchasing power to about, $498,000 today. Okay. Now you might say, oh yeah, well, that's, that's natural. That money just kind of loses value. No, this is not inevitable. The loss of purchasing power is not inevitable. This man who no doubt worked very, very hard over his lifetime to save that cash so that he could give it to his children so that it could go down to them he has been robbed. His descendants who were going to inherit that, they have been robbed of, well, their birthright. So to, to speak in one regard, the government has taken from them their ability to purchase. They've taken their wealth. And the reason that this happens isn't just because, you know, we don't have enough taxes, Right. That should never be our answer. Our answer should not be, we don't have enough taxes, we have to borrow. That's not the problem. We have $3 trillion in taxes, and that's just on the federal level. No, Never mind the trillions of dollars that the state, county, and city governments collect out of you, right? The problem isn't that we don't have enough taxes. The problem is that we just spend too much. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how else to say that.
1: The federal government's the only entity that can not balance a budget, increase its spending, and then complain about the something else. Like, could you imagine if you like did your budget for the month and you're like, "Well, okay, I've got got three thousand dollars that I'm going to make this month, um, but I spent three thousand five hundred dollars last month, so I borrowed five hundred from the bank. So this month." I'm going to spend $6,000. dollars like, it's just, it's (laughs) insane. Like what's going to happen? I wonder.
0: I can't imagine. (laughs) And, you know, tune in next week to find out. A ton of people borrow, right? Borrowing is is not a problem. There's something called productive debt where you borrow to increase your future income, like starting a business, right? You might get a small business loan or something like that. But, you know, if you have a credit card, right? Credit cards are essentially- Dave
1: Ramsey just turned off the podcast, Stanton.
0: Thanks, listen, listen.
1: <laughs> listen. Deep cuts,
0: people. Deep cuts. Well, I know, but you know, a lot of people have credit cards, and you can use them wisely or poorly. But those who use it wisely, they know their their credit limit, how much the bank allows them to borrow in a month, and then they pay it off at the end of the month. Right? They 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 plan that way. They usually do it for like airline points. Okay, but you don't get to go beyond your credit limit without penalty. And you certainly don't get to decide your own credit limit, but that's exactly what Congress does. Congress's credit limit, the, the the debt ceiling, they get to say, how much are we allowed to borrow? 30 trillion? Okay. Well, once they hit 30 trillion, which we are coming to very, very soon, um, and they say, Well, we don't want to pay off this $30 trillion yet. Ah, let's just raise the debt ceiling. And they can do that because they're Congress, because the Constitution foolishly did not limit Congress's credit limit. Thanks, Hamilton.
1: <laughs> I really, I, somebody proposed, was it Massey that proposed the bill of just to have the uh, the debt counter up in Congress at all times so that they could just watch it tick up as they like pass more bills to spend more money? I'm here for it. That'd be great. Well, so, and so, go so what you see now, right, is you see we're starting to see this effect. You're starting to see unnatural inflation because mm. if you look at inflation rates in the United States for the past 20 ish years, you know, usually we're hovering around in the one percent, the two percent, you know, kind of per month. That's fairly standard. Um, if there's a major event, it might jump up into the three percent. Right at the end of at the end of Bush Junior, um, it jumped up into the three percent a little bit. And then, when you see this uh, like consecutive
0: series of four percent months and a five percent month, we're in two thousand and eight. By the way, I want I want to make a comment about that. So what Cody's reading off of is is the quote unquote official interest rate as reported by, is that is that the Bureau of Statistics that you're looking, at or is that the Fed? I'm on inflation.
1: Uh, the calculator that draws from the the oh, where is this point?
0: I'll figure out where it's pulled from. Either way, right? There's this uno- there, there's this official interest rate the way that we measure inflation is by what's called the consumer price index, the CPI. It's an imperfect measurement, but it's the one we've got. Essentially, uh, the Federal Reserve or whoever's measuring this, I think it might be the Treasury Department, whoever's doing it is that they will say there's this basket of goods, gasoline, cars, TVs, phones, groceries, etc. And within this basket of goods, we're going to measure these prices of these goods over time. Okay. The problem is, what goods do you put in there. You know, in the 80s and 90s, you would have a Walkman. For those of you who don't know what a Walkman is, it was like a little radio in the form of a headset. And you would literally walk around listening to music on your Walkman. It it's an archaic form of portable <laughs> music. Um, that would have been, it was very common, very popular. That would have been something calculated in CPI. It's not going to be in there today. Uh, Mm -hmm. Today, you would have something like smartphones didn't exist in the 1990s, right? So whoever decides what's in the CPI, they're going to have an influence on what is measured for inflation, okay? Now, again, I don't like to be conspiratorial, but I have a very, very strong gut academic feeling that the reason that the official inflation rate is not higher than 8%. Right now, it's what, probably officially, it's like 4%. I think it's probably closer to 10%. The reason it's not officially that way is because the CPI is measured so biasly that it maintains this kind of quasi 4% rate. I think the inflation rate is far higher than 4%.
1: That's interesting. So it's Bureau of Labor Statistics, so it's Department of Labor that, that so publishes. So it's a government
0: agency collecting data and reporting the data to you. That's a good point.
1: I didn't realize that that it was that as a lay person, as just a lawyer, I've just, you know, you look at the data. and
0: Like, what are you going to do? Measure the price of horse and buggy?
1: Right? I mean, that might be very important to some people, which kind of goes to the point you're making exactly, is that. That's going to affect different things differently. That's really interesting because I think you can see trends. I mean, mm-hmm. even through the CPI data. So what the, where I was going was that like, you know, the last time that you saw government reported inflation above 4% consecutively was the market crash in 2008. The
0: layman's barometer for inflation is not the CPI. It's gas. It's the price of gas. Okay. Sometimes it's the price of eggs. Sometimes it's the price of milk. But gas is like a really, really common one. Okay. now gas with the rise of renewable energies is kind of not so much this the standard of measuring inflation for the layperson. But if you're out there listening, you are probably hearing exactly what we're talking about. Things are getting more expensive. Your regular purchases, your grocery bills are probably a little bit higher than they might bill. You know, filling up your gas. You know, I, I saw a meme that uh, filling up their their, uh, their their Saturn cost fifty dollars. Like, welcome. That's inflation. That's what happens. Okay. Now again, gasoline is subject to a lot of supply problems, especially when you add in things like OPEC. But on the whole, there's a problem that is generating across the board. And it's not just gas. Okay. Yeah. Gas. See, this
1: I don't like. It. So I mean, CPI is now i understand i mean i can see how it's flawed i don't think gas is is no no no. it's not it's not a
0: yeah it's it's no it's it's a sticking your thumb out to see which way the wind is coming from
1: yeah because gas is cheaper so i from california people gas is cheaper today in california than it was when i was in california in like 2011 right so it's kind of a hard indicator
0: yeah and again, in, especially in the past 10, 15 years, it's become a really weird metric with everything that's going on with regulations and blah, 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 blah,
1: yeah I, yeah. I think that's kind of, but you get this like general obvious sense, right? That like your money just doesn't go as far. And that kind of gut feeling is, is just true. I mean, you can look at it if you budget out and you've been budgeting for a really long time, you can really see it, Um people that are our age probably aren't going to see it as much because you're not going to be thinking about those kind of like standard things that are are commonplace because that's the other side of it right is like you know i could buy a so when i was a kid a walkman was a still a was a cd player was the common one (laughs) it turned into the brand name but um with a product name rather but right you know, I could probably buy one of those for relatively cheap, but that doesn't, that's not something that society cares about today. So it's kind of this weird, like keeping up with the Joneses slash like, well, no, this is just a standard good in society to kind of like feel this gauge.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the way that you can really feel this is uh, any more now uh, in order to, well, let's say you put, you know, $50,000 into your bank account and you want to make make sure that the value of that $50,000, that that purchasing power stays the same for the next 20 years anymore now, you have to invest that money into um, really, really solid portfolios. Sometimes in order to keep up, now that's that's just to maintain the wealth. If you want to increase the wealth, sometimes you have to put it into riskier portfolios. You have to put it into riskier options that are not good. What the hell- Bitcoin.
1: i just watched you like
0: shiver on camera (laughs) i I want a decentralized currency i don't know if bitcoin's the way to do it anyway i think so i think the best gauge for me
1: outside of of you know any government reporting or thing like that is like how expensive it is to go out to eat like Uh. i think that's a good because then you get you get fluctuations like you can kind of get the idea of like well look It's going to be more expensive to go to Ruth Chris than it's going to be to go to Applebee's. But Mm -hmm. I know how expensive it was to go to Applebee's when I was younger. And I know how expensive it is to go to Applebee's today. And I think that's one of those things that's a kind of an easy gauge. I remember when, you know, fast food meals started cresting into the like the $10. I remember that being like an event where, you know. Before it was like, oh, you could get a combo for eight bucks, and then I remember at one point I was like ten dollars for a. If fast you food ever combo? lived in
0: an age where the dollar menu at McDonald's actually meant a dollar, dollar, yeah, then you know inflation is real. That's oh
1: man, that's my new that is my new price index.
0: I'm still <laughs> the dollar menu. How many the things do they keep taking off the dollar menu?
1: Yeah, how
0: <laughs> much can you get
1: on a fast food dollar menu? Is my new gauge for inflation. <laughs>
0: What the hell does this have to do with freedom? We go back to the same thing that we talk about whenever we talk economics. If you don't have mastery and control over your property, you don't get to decide politics. Because whether we like it or not, how much property you control does ultimately dictate how much political influence you have in the process. It's not that you know, uh, you know I have $80 billion and so I am more valuable. It's not what we're saying. Right? You know, we one vote, one person, one vote. That's true. But the problem is that access to political processes, access just to information about what's going on in the world, um, your ability to influence those who tax, all of this is commensurate with your ability to control your property. It, Friedrich Hayek said that the necessary ingredient for political freedom is economic freedom. Now, granted, Government's not taxing you with inflation, but the mere fact that they are able to deteriorate your wealth while at the same time being able to do whatever they want, right? That's the most insidious thing about that. Government can still do whatever the hell they want. They want to build a whole new nuclear arsenal. They want to have a whole new set of of programs that have nothing to do with what the American people want. They can still do that without taxing you so that you don't complain, but your wealth is still being deteriorated because of it. You still pay the cost of government's action. And to me, the other
1: side of it isn't just economic act or you know political access, right? Because that's that is just as much a problem of you know inflation causes just as much a problem of, of just unruly government, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter how much money you have to what you could say because the government shouldn't be able to infringe upon your your natural rights. Um, but basically what the government is doing by printing money is stealing from you without telling you. Right. <laughs> so, I, I mean, every time it's so hard to think, like, so if you have a loaf of bread, inflation is the government just coming and taking two slices. Cause it feels like it, right. Like it's the same thing as a tax. It's just so insidious. It's so
0: gross. I love how we keep making up metaphors to try and explain this. I, thing. I know. We've, I feel like a Catholic trying to explain the Trinity. <laughs> it's three, but it's one Just get over it uh,
1: <laughs> But no heresy <laughs> But I, Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to To kind of really convey that message But it's this Disgusting, insidious You know, theft I mean, and look Right, there's this, you know The libertarian motto is taxation Is theft Whatever you want to think about it Congress has the power to tax in the constitution. It's given to them as one of their congressionally granted powers. But inflation is this like crazy workaround where they don't have to tell you they're taxing, but they're taking your property. They're taking your stuff. They're just doing it in a way that you can't do anything about, Mm -hmm. right? Like with income taxes, you could pull the Warren Buffett approach and just hide everything off seas with, High, could appropriately, whatever, put everything off C's, however you want to say it, right? With sales taxes, you can stop buying things. If you don't want to pay a sales tax, you don't have to participate in the market. You don't have to buy things. There is literally nothing you can do about inflation. As a matter of fact, if you do nothing about inflation, it gets worse. Yeah. Because if you don't invest your money, if you don't get a rate of return, then it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. At least if you partially invest your money, then you might break even at the end of the day. But that's how gross inflation is, is it
0: forces you to try to do something just to hold on to what you have. There comes a point where the money becomes so worthless that you just go back to bartering physical goods. That would be horrid. it's so inefficient today. Like we just, we just can't do it. It was inefficient the it. then. It's always inefficient. That's the problem. That's what money. All right. I know. We're I going get back it. into economic but history. I, yeah. It just so that's what's. That's why
1: we care about it. That's why this is something that deals. This. That's why this gets back to freedom, right? Your ability to, you know, your pursuit of happiness, because what the government is essentially doing by just printing cash and driving up these rates of inflation to who knows whatever they are right now
0: your money represents your value when i again i'm going to preface this i'm not talking about your moral value i'm not talking about your value as a human you're gonna go full like landed elite here aren't you i I was about to your money represents the value of your work right when you have labored when you have put your physical or mental energy energies into doing something, your money is supposed to represent that value. It's what right. you've strived for. You know, a lot of people say money is the root of all evil. And we can say whether well or not greed is. I like to say that money is is the representation of my hard work, of my, of my work ethic. I, I am proud of the money I have. I don't have a lot of it. I have to spend a lot of it on debt and all these things. But I'm proud of my paycheck because it represents the value of what I've earned. You could say, no, maybe it should be more or not. That's a matter of supply and demand, but it represents your effort. And when inflation steals that away from you, that is a debasement of your human dignity. Not because money represents your dignity, but it disrespects your work. It disrespects your effort. That's, that's, that's cruel, right? Now, well, again, the reason we say that this it's happens- Economic slavery. Ooh,
1: ooh. I mean, kind. not only are they taking your your labor without your consent, but then they're also forcing you to engage in further labor in order to keep up with their expenditures, their decision making. That's yep. that's economic slavery.
0: Yep. It's 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 decrepit, and besides fiat currency, which gives government complete. To total control over money printing. It, it also comes back to Congress spending, right? We as citizens don't hold our, our representatives accountable. Okay. We say we have to spend, 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 but we never say that you have to tax and now, and I'll go out there on a limb, right? This might ruin any future career I have with libertarians. I would rather a, see a $6 trillion balanced budget than see a $6 trillion, budget, but with $3 trillion of a deficit. I mean, economically, that's probably
1: better for everybody, right? Because because not mm-hmm. only are you talking about increased taxes, right? But, but as soon as you increase borrowing, they're borrowing against us, yes. right? This is something that actually one of the things that Christy sent us is that like when, when the US increases the national debt, that's that's our debt,
0: mm-hmm. which means that's on me. Yeah, there, yeah. There, there's this other thing called crowding out, which is a really cool, cool thing um, you know, when when the government borrows, when it when it sells uh, bonds, when it has to borrow, it's competing for private companies who are also trying to borrow. So there there are opportunities that we're missing because the government does this. Christy sent us uh, this paragraph from an article. will we'll tr- I'll try and remember to put the link in the description. Uh, here's the here's the paragraph she wanted us to read. Um, this this is talking about President Biden's uh, proposed six trillion dollar budget. Under this budget. Debt held by the public as a share of GDP, GDP is gross domestic product, it represents uh, how much stuff we make, right? How much like, wealth we generate, right? That's Yeah, yeah it's, how, it's how wealthy we are in a given year. Mm. Debt held by the public as a share of GDP would reach 117% by the end of the decade, more than the historical record we set just after World War II. This is the wrong direction. After the massive run-up in the debt during the past two recessions, by the way, for all you millennials, this is our second economic crisis in a lifetime. The debt during the past (laughs) two recessions, the aging of the population, the many threats we are contending with from competition from China to new forms of cyber warfare, it is nothing short of reckless to be leaving ourselves so fiscally Vulnerable. Um, budgets suck, uh, especially big ones like the federal federal government, because they're chock full of crap that has absolutely nothing to do with the powers enumerated to them by the Constitution, nor do they have anything to do with what mm, I'd say not even 20% of Americans want, right? There's probably less than 1% of Americans that support most of these programs. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to say that Congress doesn't have the power to go to the moon to have a space agency, but at least NASA has a popular support behind it. At least there's some democratic aspect to it. I don't know about, what, what, what was uh, Rand Paul's, uh, what was it, Festivus? What was his most recent complaint? Was it the lizard on the treadmill? Yeah, the lizard treadmill study. Oh uh, yeah, like how, how fast can a lizard go on a treadmill or something like that? That was funded by tax dollars. Well, probably not by tax dollars, probably funded by borrowing. Who knows? Right. Yeah. So uh, conservatives and libertarians are really, really potent about demanding that Congress stop taxing. Good. This is right and proper. Um, but of both of those groups, there's only so many that demand that they stop borrowing. Right. And to stop borrowing necessities that we cut spending, cutting spending is politically hazardous uh, this is true on both both sides of the political spectrum right no one on the right wants to cut spending to military no one on the left wants to cut spending to literally anything else right um it, it it's it's <laughs> I, I didn't know how else to describe that in so many words and and because no one wants to cut spending because it's politically dangerous um it it, it means that we're just going to keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing There are only like, what, two years, two budgets in which we ran a surplus, right? Both under Clinton and a Republican Congress in the 90s. Yeah, that was it. Of our 200 odd years, we've only ever run deficits. Now, granted, these deficits have been small, but beginning with Reagan, right? Beginning with Ronald Reagan and his massive military buildup. We began this trend of huge deficits, deficits that only grew under Bush and two wars in the Middle East that only increased with President Obama. Grant, his deficits were a little bit smaller, but his stimulus package for the recession and now Trump and Biden, Trump and Biden for their COVID budgets. Borrowing causes inflation and inflation destroys your wealth you as citizens need to demand from your representatives not only that they stop taxing but that they stop borrowing okay we've said here that we would we would at least you no know, tax if you're going to borrow but because taxation is theft stop taxing and stop borrowing that's my rant that's my soapbox that's that's what we need to do
1: do you know how far you have to go back prior to Clinton to get to another president that had a decrease?
0: No. A decrease in what? In the surplus. Well, so so the last time we had a surplus prior to Clinton?
1: Yes. Was there a surplus prior to Clinton? Now I'm confused. So I was looking at data points and now I'm confused about the data I'm looking at.
0: Sorry. So surplus is means we had more taxes than we did spending. Yes. And expenditures. I only know of Clinton. Was there another president that had more tax revenue than they did expenditures? Was it Coolidge? It was Coolidge. Hey, do nothing Coolidge. Coolidge is my favorite president because he literally said no to almost everything Congress wanted to do. <laughs> oh, and then, of course, who had the highest increase? Uh, FDR? No.
1: What was your first guess? Wilson? Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> Wilson had a uh, 775% increase
0: in his total budget. Oh, God. Yeah. All right, Cody, you got anything before I wrap this puppy up? Because we, we've gone on economics. We've gone on our ranch. We don't have Christy here to keep us positive and happy Rated. and non-focused. Yeah.
1: No, so I think – and I think one of the things that's tough with this episode and, and tough with inflation is not only is it hard to grasp, right, but some people are going to be sitting – with whoever's still sitting with us now – is going to sit there and go, well, what can I do? And that's kind of a hard thing with inflation. Is that there's it, it's one of those where it really look you have to get into dealing with, you know, federal policy and, and state policies and these sorts of things. And so, this one is really one of those things where, you know, we need to change the culture surrounding government spending. And if you don't care about federal government spending, that culture is not going to shift, right? Bright Bird always said politics is downstream of culture. If people don't care and people don't understand inflation and understand how the federal government can steal from your bank account without ever touching a dollar in your bank account, then this is never going to change. And one of the reasons why I think we see it so prevalent under the last, th- you know, three presidents is because people are less concerned with it. It's it's kind of fallen out of the conversation. I mean yes there's a couple guys that are out there screaming about national debt but nobody's really paying attention to it in the broader mainstream culture right all we hear is we need to spend more to address x we need to spend more to address y and this is just as bad when republicans are in power right because then they're immediately like spending money on mostly defense and then so the budget just keeps going up and up and up but there's never any increase in the base so Questionable it's, of
0: who is the true fiscally responsible party.
1: There isn't a fiscally responsible party. We haven't had a fiscally re, we, it's not a party, it's a it's a movement or yeah way it, it just status quo. The reason why you get that under Clinton, right, is with a Republican <laughs> Congress and a Democratic president, you can't do anything. Yeah. The reason why you get it under Coolidge is because he didn't
0: do anything. He's so. deliberately said, I will be doing nothing. Good day.
1: Yeah. So he's like, the Ron
0: Swanson of presidents.
1: So and that's not even necessarily like fiscally responsible. I guess it just ends up accidentally being fiscally responsible. It's not like they sat down and went, "Look, guys, we're going to figure out the budget. We're going to do this right." They just sat at home and didn't go out to eat. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like you're going to save money if you just don't leave the house anymore. And that's essentially what you had. Well, loneliness is a great budget, right? Well, we, we cannot talk about Clinton and loneliness in the same sentence. That's. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna move on now. Yeah, but so that's kind of just my takeaways. You know, guys, this is this is a really t- tough one because there's not like a go out and, and do something. This is a really get educated, talk about it, learn about inflation, chat with your friends about inflation. You know, if you have questions, hit us up, let us know. We'll do our best to explain. But this is really one of those things that we need to make part of the cultural conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: And Yeah, if if you let this continue, then the people who make themselves rich by government are just going to continue to get rich. Um, If you want evidence of why, if you want evidence of how Cody and I are right, and you don't want to just take (laughs) us on our word, uh, look at Colorado. Colorado has two things. First off, we have an amendment to our state constitution that requires a balanced budget. Our expenditures must equal our revenues. Okay, so we, we borrow very, very little. Two. We have something called TABOR, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. This means that any time a government, any level of Colorado government, state, local, doesn't matter, they want to raise taxes, they must get the approval of the citizens. Um, Now, this TABOR has been uh, chewed away at, eaten at, and they get around it by, it's not a tax, it's a fine, and all this other B crap. But on the whole, we don't raise our taxes all that often. Um, And this has enabled Colorado's economy to be rather resilient. During recessions, Colorado does much better than a lot of states. We're not impervious to economic downturns, but Colorado is generally economically far healthier than most other states in the union. And that is because we don't tax all that often, and we certainly don't borrow all that often. And if you
1: want a real example, you would go back to the third century A.D. Get out, <laughs> and you would just watch the uh, and watch the the decline and fall of the Roman Empire through its
0: increased inflation throughout all of the bad emperors. Oh yes, oh yes. Always, always. <laughs> oh, we don't want that modern history, Cody.
1: Man, I look. Yeah, I just there's not really a crazy inflation in the Roman Republic. There's, it's, <laughs> you didn't have a guy that was in charge of it. You got to get to Carcalla like, and his dumb ass. <laughs> you got any shout outs. Uh, you know, I think it'd be unfair for me to, to do another shout out. I kind of, I gave Haley a shout out at the beginning of this. So I think I'll, uh, I'll rest on that.
0: I've got a couple of shout outs. Um, <clears throat> first is to the entire uh, leadership program with the Rockies we know that you are one of our primary listeners we we love you dearly it was gl- so great to see everyone at the Broadmoor and specifically a shout out to um, to Mason I know that he came up to me he said that he loves listening to us so here's to you Mason who also um, worked so hard
1: this past weekend so uh, props to Mason for for being definitely too to the whole crew yeah the whole
0: crew um a shout out to my wife, Anna, who graduated from LPR, congratulations, my dear, um, to, to the Associated Press, who gave me the idea for this podcast, for the, for the, for this topic, <laughs> um, and to my parents, uh, Joe and Mary Beth, who celebrated their 20th, their 29th anniversary on June 6th. Um, yeah, so congratulations, mom and dad. That's it. Um, We weren't able to do it in person like we wanted, but there are more opportunities this summer for being in person. We are probably going to take a very slight break from here until our next episode, because our next episode will probably be around uh, independence day. I'm going to be in Missouri for the next few weeks. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. Uh, We might drop one thing here or there, but I I, I don't count on it. Um, But our next topic will be very much on something that is self-evident it will likely be forgotten you can find us on twitter and instagram at scf underscore pod as well as facebook you can listen to us on apple Podcasts and spotify and anywhere else you listen and with that ladies and gentlemen we'll see you next time